Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the Well Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check it out right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Welcome back. We are T-minus two weeks from our short vacation, uh, which, as established in the previous episode, hopefully will not in any way interfere with the uh, actual release schedule of the episodes. So it will be like we were never gone. You don't even have to tell anybody about our vacation. We can just pretend it doesn't happen. No, I think people deserve to know about our vacation. <laughs> uh, because we don't often take actual vacations anymore. Yeah, there's a difference between taking time off of work yeah. And going on a vacation. Well, and with the uh, pandemic and all the work from home stuff and the disruption to like care, most of the time off we've been taking over the past year has been just so that someone was home to look after the kids. Yes. As opposed to to have time off, <laughs> to relax. Right. And that's kind of what we're aiming for as we uh, leave town for a few days, not going far. Just over to Jasper, for those of you who are not local, that's a little mountain village to the west of Edmonton. Uh, yeah, it'll be a good time. Yeah. Just spend a few days in a cabin, which we've rented. Mm. Being being surrounded by mountains, and, uh, which still, we don't have a lot of here in Edmonton. And still keeping people at arm's length, because uh, I, I don't know about where you're at, but case counts are back on the rise again. So yeah. better safe than sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it'll be nice. Be nice to get away. It's nice to go on a non-stressful vacation where you're not trying to save the world. Am I right? right? Yeah. Yeah. This Our vacation sounds much nicer. <laughs> which uh, leads us into a recap of chapter 18 of our novel in which Johnny does some research, finds out that things are potentially much worse than she originally thought. She and Nick have yet another fight and then get split up at a wedding. And uh, Nick finds his urge to kill rising. <laughs> and that leads us into chapter 19 of Beneath the Rising by Premi Muhammad. They arrive at Igor Akhmatov's place. Yes. This chapter starts out with a really strong uh, Lovecraftian tilt. Sure. I thought. The like very first starts of, with it. Yeah, <laughs> well, starts with it, continues with it as we go through. I think it starts with Nick commenting on the stars because it's coming on nighttime, mm -hmm. right? The stars are out, and he feels the pull of the stars. Uh, Johnny mentioned that he should avoid looking at them. Yeah, at present because they will pull at him. Yes, he's definitely feeling it right now. Right, it's very that to me that's very Lovecraftian. To feel, to feel the pull of something like that. Yeah. Like you're going to fall up into space somehow. 
yeah, it's a, I, I've noticed as a common motif in lots of Lovecraftian stories, someone is compelled towards something, feels the pull of the sea, the stars, the tomb, whatever, right? It's a very Lovecraftian motive. Sure. Uh, there's a lot more Lovecraft in this chapter. Yet oh, oh, there this sure is, is. This is quite possibly the most Lovecrafty chapter yet, for the record. <laughs> Having arrived at the place, Nick points out, like, it's closed. <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever this place is during the day, it's locked up tight right now. And Johnny's like, no problem. Whips out her phone. Uh, notes that <laughs> she's... a bazillion numbers. No, actually, she notes that she's missed 45 calls because she's had her phone largely turned off this whole time. Mm-hmm. None of them were from her mom. Oh, that's a whole separate episode we could have. We've discussed the non-relationship she has with her mother. Right. And I don't think it's entirely on her mother's head. Johnny here is um, kind of putting the emphasis on, oh, my mom doesn't seem to care to have called. But from what we understand so far, it's not like Johnny's going out of her way to maintain that relationship either. No. So I think that's a two-way street. Probably. Yeah. Nick also asks, hey, maybe one of those calls is from my family. Maybe they're checking in. And Johnny's like, no, absolutely not. Rutger wouldn't allow it. Right. Not. It's not that they don't want to, because they probably do. <laughs> It's that they're not being allowed for their safety. Yeah. But before she can assure him that it is for the best, Akhmatov answers the phone. And we hear kind of a one-sided conversation. He is obviously concerned that she is there in physical person to talk to him. Right. But agrees to come down and let them in because a light flips on in the darkened house and a a gruff man comes stomping out of the door in in his bathrobe. In his robes, yes. Akhmatov meets them at the gate and then lets them in and actually has to, uh, like, undo a little bit of magic to let them in. Right. And uh, Johnny and Nick kind of inquire about this. Like, is it some sort of protective spell or something? He he says it's more just to protect the books, like, to keep them from being noticed. Yeah, it struck me as more of a deterrent as opposed to, like, an actual shield, yeah. per se. You know what I mean? Because, as we'll learn a little later in the chapter from Johnny, uh, these kinds of books, again... They're more like Harry Potter books than actual Lovecraftian books, yeah. but they have a tendency to call to each other. It's the kind of uh, the kind of magic that reaches out and tries to touch itself again. Mm-hmm. So otherworldly beings might be attracted to them if he's not being careful, and that's kind of the magic that he's put in place here. Yeah. He also mentions that the magic shouldn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's we... it's spells that under normal circumstances would not have enough power to to function. We're seeing a lot of this, though. Like, this is this is a recurring theme. Well, yeah, because so much magic is entering the world at present because this conjunction is happening. That uh, all these spells that all these occultists know are now functioning instead of being yeah mumbo-jumbo or things that, uh, ancient things that don't really work anymore. Right? Yeah. But in this case, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, potentially. Though Akhmatov mentions that... Um, some of the old warding spells that uh, were put in place that weren't really working anymore have been destroyed in recent times by, I mean, just people being ignorant. Well, he specifically calls out the Serati Society, though. Well, yes. I mean, Johnny mentions that it is a little interesting, the coincidence that this is happening now at a time when people have largely forgotten all these old occult traditions and a lot of these, like, old protective barriers have been worn away by just modern people being ignorant. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, time in general. Yeah, and Akhmatov does mention, like, what about the Serati Society? Aren't they supposed to be around to protect this stuff? 
And Johnny's basically just like, I wouldn't trust them with that. In addition to that, um, Akhmatov is also curious who exactly Nick is. And Johnny gives him her stock non-answer to any question that's leveled at her. He's with me. But he does press Nick until he gets a name and a little bit of ancestry. Because he's like, where are you from? Uh, And Nick's like, I'm from Canada. But does mention that he's like, some of his family's from Guyana. Well, first he he accuses him of not looking African once... Nick confesses that his ancestors are from Guyana because he mishears it as Ghana. Yeah. He's like, you don't look African. No. No, Guyana. From the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, you don't look South American either. Well, like, <laughs> screw you, dude. Yeah. Uh, learn some history. A lot of Indian people were taken by the British to work in Central America. Yeah. And Canada's sort of a delightful melting pot of cultures. So you can be from just about anywhere. Clearly not wanting to quibble about this at this time, Akhmatov pivots to just like, all right, fine, come in. Don't touch any of the books. Like at all. Do not touch them with your hands. Yeah, like no touching. Barely touch them with your eyes. Like (laughs) he leads them down to his basement. And and Nick is kind of struck with how similar to Johnny's place his place kind of is. And that it's a little house on top with a sprawling labyrinth underneath. Right. And he starts unlocking the door to his book vault. And it huh. takes a little while because it's like quadruple locked. It was, to me, it was like comically locked from the top down. Yep. Right? Like a bazillion different locks. Some of them magical, some of them physical. Like every kind of lock you could think of, he's got one on this door. Yeah. And then he does something that I found a little surprising. He does not chaperone them. He just lets them into the vault, loudly announces he's headed back to bed and they should be gone by morning. Right? Super protective of these books. Does not want to be with those books. I mean, on the one hand, it implies a level of trust that he has for Johnny. And and we'll kind of discuss that in a minute. But it did surprise me that he's just like, well, you know, if you touch a book, you might die. Have a good time. And leaves. It, it kind of strikes me as sort of like enter at your own risk. More or less, yeah. Right? He's like, no, I'm not going to protect you. I know what's down here. Like, you you brought this on yourselves. Off you go. Johnny says that he doesn't have to worry about them being gone by morning. They hope to be out of there in like an hour or two because they have to make it to Iraq in a very short amount of time. Yeah, exactly. Johnny wants to be in and out as quick as possible. And Akhmatov is... Like, you you know about all the stuff with Saddam that's going on, right? You you do watch the news. <laughs> and Johnny's like, yeah, there's no helping it. And it dawned on me, yeah, this is the early 2000s, so we're right in the lead up to the Iraq war right now. Yeah, we're, we're right in front of uh, Desert Storm here. Yeah. Johnny, again, is like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're aware of the situation. He's like, all right. And slams the door and leaves them in the vault. Yes. With some dim lights <laughs> and, uh, like, stacks and stacks and stacks of books. As a labyrinth of books, as far as the eye can see, all with their spines turned inward so that you can't actually tell which book is which. Probably safer that way. Might be, especially if they're all dangerous occult tomes. Right? Nick doesn't like Akhmatov. Like, this guy has rubbed him the wrong way pretty much from jump. Well, insulting someone right off the bat is not exactly a good first impression. Yep. Johnny is at least sympathetic here, because she's like, you have to look at it from his perspective. He's in a very uncertain place right now, because... Obviously, he watches the news. He is aware there is a hefty bounty out for us. And if he turned us in, he would make a lot of money, like much more than he makes selling books out of his house. But he can't do it because what if I'm right is basically what's niggling at the back of his head. Yep. He can't risk the end of the world to turn us in. And so he's kind of torn by that. 
And that's why he's in a foul mood. <laughs> and Nick's like, do you trust him to do the right thing and not call the police? And she's like, nope, but we don't really have a choice. <laughs> well, the thing is, if he did phone the police on them, he would have to release the police into his book vault. Yeah, that's probably not a terribly good idea. No. Yeah. It probably isn't. I mean, they could also just be waiting for them when they leave, but... Maybe. But, uh, no, the safer bet here is just in case... Like, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on. Magic is working again. Maybe the world is ending. <laughs> Maybe I should let the kid genius who has an interest in the occult go and check out my books. Let's let's make sure the world doesn't end before I decide to collect some kind of reward. Indeed. Nick turns here and is like, what What about all that Saddam stuff, by the way? Because the UN is currently like going into Iraq to look for WMDs. And Johnny's kind of amused because she's like, yeah, they're not going to find any WMDs. Or at least, she hints cryptically, nothing conventional. If they found something, would they even know what it was? Well, her implication here is that Saddam might be secretly trying to weaponize the occult. Yeah. She's basically suggesting that Saddam is doing Nazi occult stuff. I was just about to say, like, it's the Nazi, it's the Nazi rumors about the occult stuff all over again. Except with Saddam. Here's the interesting thing, and this is a total aside. This is not the first time I've seen this particular plot point crop up in um, kind of occult fiction. Really? In, in like, quote unquote, real world occult fiction. That uh, Saddam, in particular in the Middle East, was trying to weaponize the occult. Hmm. He's just, I mean, the guy was such a go-to villain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's very true. Uh, I'm not trying to equate Saddam Hussein with Hitler necessarily, because, I mean, he was a bad dude, but it's but hard Hitler? to it's hard to measure <laughs> up to Hitler and the Nazis. But uh, yeah, that's uh, not the first time I've seen that particular plot point crop up in, in fiction. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good short story available on the internet, uh, which you can seek out, called A Colder War. It's by Charles Strauss. It was before he did the laundry stories, but it's very reminiscent of those. And it's about... Uh, the Cold War, <laughs> except with uh, with a Lovecraftian spin on Go it. Go figure. Lovecraft meets Tradecraft is uh, is a very fun sort of uh, subgenre. But uh, yeah. You're going worth, off topic. Worth checking out. No, I, again, total aside, but just uh, worth checking out uh, if you can find it. So Nick and we get back to the situation at hand. What are they looking for? The good news is they're looking for a single book. One book that has all the answers that Johnny needs. The bad news is they are searching for a needle in a haystack. And the worst news is the book is probably the most dangerous book in the collection and should not be handled under any circumstances by anyone, even even <laughs> in the worst of, uh, of situations. Yes. So Johnny has sharpied two, like, warding spells onto the backs of her hands. Yep. To protect her so that she could, at the very least, touch the book. Yep. But she still sends Nick out to find it by himself. Anyway, like, she's going to go one way, he's going to go the other way. Well, because they, they need to split up yeah. to search for their needle in a haystack. Right. Nick asks if he can get some warding magic as well, and she's like, I really only have enough energy to power one of us. Just don't touch it if you find it. Yeah, just just yell. Just yell when you find it. I don't think Johnny was expecting this. No. But she does say he'll know it when he sees it. And uh, Nick is actually like, does, does Akhmatov even know he has this special magic book? And she's like, probably not. Huh. It's very likely that he doesn't. It's uh, part of a book called Celestial Observations. And apparently it's one of a kind volume of this book because it had essentially annotations by a monk who had made a deal with demons. Yeah, uh, someone else who had a covenant. Yeah, 
Um, and this makes Nick twitch a little bit. And he asks, uh, what kind of covenant did this guy make exactly? And Johnny explains, oh, he basically, he kind of tries to do the loophole where you kind of wish for more wishes. But in this case, in a roundabout way, he wanted to do what Drazenoth does, which is make covenants with other people and give them what they want. Yeah. And Nick is like, that's insane. Why would Why would the powers that be, why would the ancient ones give a human the ability to do what they do? And Johnny's answer is, because it amuses them. Yeah, basically, number one, you can't control what someone wants. So if they wish for something and you're into the business of granting wishes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> give them give them the thing. But she also points out that human nature has proven to them again and again and again that any wish, no matter how well-intentioned, will go wrong. Yep. So it was just a matter of like, sure, you can do what we do and then sit back and watch him abuse it and destroy himself. And sure enough, dude died young. Yep. Works every time. Now, here's the big surprise, though. The monk wasn't dealing with Drazanoth. No, this was before Drazi. He was actually dealing with Nyarlathotep. Which is somehow so much worse. Well, we had uh, brought up Nyarlathotep chapters ago when oh, we yeah. were introduced to Drazanoth. because I. I likened him to Nyarlathotep, yep. a similar being. And now we're being told, oh, Nyarlathotep is also running around. He's also a dude <laughs> in this cosmology. Great. That's what we need. And actually is worse than Drazanoth. Uh, Drazanoth wishes he was Nyarlathotep. It's a sad hierarchy of terrifying. Yeah, uh, because Nyarlathotep, unlike Drazanoth, likes to put on a pretty face and go around cultivating, like, worshippers. As you do. And could appear as anyone. And we've mentioned that lines up with Lovecraft's mythos in the past because mm -hmm. Nyarlathotep is the crawling chaos. He is uh, the the being with a thousand faces. I was going to say, isn't it the god of many faces? Yeah, well, he's definitely a many-faced god. The good news is we don't have to worry about the crawling chaos in this novel because he's still asleep after his last big banishing. <laughs> At least let's, let's as hope. far as she yeah. knows. Yeah. After confirming that Asathoth remains more powerful, if less cool than Nyarlathotep, he remains <laughs> Nyarlathotep's boss. Uh, Nick asks, is there anything more powerful than Azathoth we should be worried about? And Johnny kind of maybe suggests the king in yellow. Okay, I was going to ask you about this because you would know. When she starts out the description of this great thing that was nameless, et cetera, et cetera. I was going to ask you if she was talking about Cthulhu, but then she gets to the part about the yellow silk mask over his head or face or whatever it is she says, and I went, oh, is that the king in yellow? It certainly reads to me like the king in yellow, which, uh, number one, Cthulhu is definitely not the most powerful being in the Cthulhu mythos, despite the fact that he is the most famous and is named after him. He is objectively not the most powerful. Oh, okay. Cthulhu is a great old one. Azathoth is a god. Cthulhu worships Azathoth. Oh, okay. Um, Cthulhu is a priest of Azathoth. Uh, also, and Cthulhu is very powerful, a very powerful alien entity, but he is not a god. Uh, he, he is godlike by comparison to us, but he is not a god. Nyarlathotep is a god. Azathoth is a god. Okay, they say Azagthoth? It's Azathoth. I was, I was like, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. If Primi Mohammed is obliquely referring to the king in yellow it tracks uh the king in yellow technically predates all of lovecraft stuff because it was written by robert w chambers before lovecraft came along and started writing his stuff mm -hmm. the fact that johnny uh, does explicitly not want to really mention its name tracks because the king in yellow is an avatar 
of a greater entity that is generally referred to that which should not be named. Ah. Because to invoke its name is to invoke it and invite it in. Gotcha. She's talking about Haster. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, you don't, that's that's the name you don't speak. And Haster is, um, I mean, like a meme? <laughs> <laughs> Like like an idea, like a like a sentient concept. Sorry, my mortal brain doesn't wrap around that very well. Yeah, we're talking about like cosmic alien stuff here. Yep. Anyway, it could be the king in yellow. We don't know for sure. But it the, the description kind of well, it leans pretty hard. Leans on it, yeah. Kind of gotten into the Lovecraft box there. Back to the book. Nick begins searching for the book. The books, as we mentioned, are all turned around, so he can't even see the titles. And there's a couple times where he's like, if I could just even just like pull out some books so that I know I've come this way before. Cause he's quickly turned around. He doesn't know uh, which direction he's gone. Everything looks the same. It's just stacks and stacks of yellowed pages. Yeah. And since he's not allowed to touch anything, he's not allowed to mark his path for himself. Yeah. Right? Thinking about all the books though, also makes him think of the fact that, you know, it's weird because if we're successful, history will never know that we succeeded. Like, we're on this grand heroic quest to save the world, which no one is ever going to know about. Yeah. And it kind of makes him a little sad. Right? <laughs> Especially because even what people will know about what happened is that child genius Johnny Chambers ran off for a week with some guy she knows, beat up some dudes in an airport, and then came home. Uh, yeah. It's going to look weird. Nick will be, at best, a footnote. And that makes him dwell a little bit on the fact that their 13-year friendship has amounted to this, and that it was kind of marred by lies this whole time. There was a wall between them of secrets. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. Yeah. His his internal dialogue definitely betrays his bitterness at that. Yeah. But, again, this is Nick being, I think, unnecessarily down on himself. He refers to them as a girl and her dog. Oh, yeah, for like, sure. He thinks so lowly of himself. It's, it, it hurts me. <laughs> it hurts my heart. He continues his search, wondering how he would know the book in question. And he's very lost. He's not even sure what he's looking for. And the smell that he noticed when he first came in keeps getting worse. Yeah, that book mold smell. He half jokes to himself that it smells like something died in there. And... That kind of stops him in his tracks because he realizes, oh, something is dead in here. Which, in the back of my mind, sparked a question because uh, th- it occurred to me that we might actually be searching for the Necronomicon. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong because you know of these Lovecraft things. Is the original Necronomicon bound in flesh? I mean, the, the original Latin Necronomicon is bound in human flesh. Yes. Okay. But I mean, it would be cured human flesh. It wouldn't smell bad. No, it'd be it would smell like leather. No, theory. but that's but that's a, a link that my brain made. Yeah, right. That it's the, since it is bound in in flesh that maybe there's the original Necronomicon was written on scrolls. That would be the Alizif. Ah, okay. And it's a it's a collection of scrolls that was eventually translated into Latin and bound as a codex. Gotcha. Or at least an abridged codex. Right. The, the Latin version is itself an abridged version of the original, which is the most complete and most mind-blasting version of the book. See, I knew you would know these things. Yeah. He presses forward in spite of this kind of revelation that he has and slowly realizes he's not in the basement anymore. Like, it started to slope downward. Uh, it The stone floor starts to give way to gravel and then to sand. Uh, slowly, he begins to realize that 
he's standing in a desert. He's not even in a basement anymore. Yeah, he's not in this vast basement anymore. He's not surrounded by books anymore. There's sand under his feet now. There's stars in the sky. Right? Yeah. And he can't go back either. Now, at first, he thinks this must be some kind of illusion, and he calls for Johnny a couple times. Uh, And then the sand shifts and begins to fall into a sinkhole, and he panics. He panic runs uh, up a dune to safety. you kidding me? I wouldn't want to fall into a sand sinkhole. Uh, And it dawns on him there's something in the heart of the sinkhole, and it takes him a moment to realize that it's a book. And immediately he's like, no, obviously it is the book. Yeah. It must be. Because I'd know it when I saw it. And sure enough, he's he's knowing what he's looking at. Um, he notes the book is being clutched by a mummified thing with no face, uh, with protrusions that appear to be like more arms or wings on its back. And that's probably where he was getting the smell from, this, this dead creature that's clutching the book. Yep. Um, Makes sense. My mind thinks Nightgaunt. That's I don't know a what love, that is. That's a Lovecraftian creature with no face and wings. Okay. Um, they are generally servants of Nodens, who is not one of the evil gods, but one of the elder gods, one of the, the ones who are generally on the side of humanity. Okay. So this could be a servant of the good powers, who's holding on to the book to prevent it from falling into the hands of bad people. That makes sense. Who might try to misuse the knowledge. That was my initial thought. That is speculation, though. We don't know. But that also tracks with a note I made myself about the end of this chapter, that it... <laughs> well... Let's, let's wait till we get to the end of the chapter, and then we'll talk about it. Nick forces himself towards the book, uh, realizes if he can't call to Johnny, it's kind of up to him to secure the book, and he's going to have to risk touching it. So he wraps his hands in his headscarf uh, to give him some modicum a, a of protection. A barrier of some kind, yeah. Yeah, uh, and reaches out for the book, and then the mummy speaks and asks him, who are you? Yes. <laughs> and that is the end of chapter 19. Right. So the who are you tracks with what you just told me about what you think this creature is, because it didn't immediately attack to protect the book at all costs, right? This is a uh, friend or foe situation. Seems to be, yes. Right? I think that bodes well. It definitely, again, if, if it tracks with it being a night gaunt or a night gaunt-like creature, I agree. I think that it is a being that is there to protect the book, or at least offer a line of defense for the book. Yeah. Um, f- to prevent it from falling into pe- the hands of people who might misuse it. Right, exactly. So, and Nick, being fundamentally pure of heart, might be able to touch the book after all. Maybe. Who knows? Oh. Hard to say. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Or he might punch the thing with no face and run off with it. <laughs> I hope not. Because that, it's... will probably end badly. Nick is not known for making smart snap decisions. No, he is not. And more importantly, we have been given hints that Johnny might not necessarily be working for the good guys, knowingly or unknowingly. So That's true. Yeah. Ooh, maybe Johnny can't touch the book anyway. Well, I mean, she probably can with the wards she put on her hands. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Hard to say. We'll have to wait and see as we move into chapter 20. Was he actually transported to a desert somewhere, or do you think this is an illusion in the basement? I mean, I'm pretty sure he's still in the basement, but he might also be somewhere else. Like... Like a weird portal kind of thing? Not as such. I'm not suggesting that this desert is somewhere else on Earth. No, I think he's still in the basement, but he is also somewhere else. Oh, okay. I think I get what you're saying. Okay. And it, it it might be that he's been, that his like, he's standing in front of a glowing book in, if Johnny were to come across him right now, but in his mind, he's... He's in a desert with this creature? In a desert with this creature? Yep. No, I get Um, it. But it, 
I mean, it's also entirely possible that reality has been warped and he is both in the basement and not in the basement. Well, he's in this weird, impossibly big basement. Yeah. Yeah, I said impossible. Well, I mean, I would go so far as to say the very nature of the kind of occult tomes that Akhmatov has collected in that vault mm-hmm. might be warping reality and might yeah. create a larger than normal space. That is so. absolutely possible, yes. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, you'll want to read up on Chapter 20 in time for next week. And in the meantime, not everybody has a giant basement like Akhmatov. And that can be a shame, especially if it's something you've always wanted for your house. And if you're looking for doing some home renovations or even just some uh, improvements or uh, some repairs, you might reach out to Rumi. Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. So yeah, Rumi, supporter of the Alberta Podcast Network. I genuinely want to know how often someone asks them if they have the... The, the space available for, like, a secret underground lair or a lab or a forbidden library or something like that. I mean, I would I would say that that would require knocking down the house and repouring the entire foundation. But, Probably, yes. Know. But, uh, I mean, hey, if you've got the money and you want to have a secret villain lair, all the power to you. It's it's not weird to find an older house that has, like, a bunker yeah. to it, right? Yeah. So, the, never Those know. used to be a thing. At any rate, uh, you can check out uh, all of the other sponsors of the network right now at the network website. That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, check out some of the other podcasts who are members of the network. Yeah. Definitely appreciate your ears. Uh, Put them on your podcatcher of choice. Yeah. While you're at your podcatcher of choice, uh, give us a little rating and review. That helps our visibility, and we appreciate it very much. We do. You can reach out to us as well via social media. We are on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebookses, and the Goodsreadses. And we are at the Read Along at all of the above. Yep. You can also email us. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For answers, I guess? Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.